Hello everyone, I'm Warren Smith. And I'm Natasha Smith. And we'd like to welcome you to the inaugural edition of the Ministry Watch Weekly Podcast. Every week, Warren and I will be bringing you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has given us. On today's program, we'll be discussing new revelations at Chicago-based Willow Creek Community Church, a new approach to helping men in recovery coming out of Indianapolis, and a whole lot more. Yeah, that's right, Natasha. And we'll also be letting our listeners take a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, to understand how and why we do what we do here at Ministry Watch. Well, let's jump in into this week's stories. I'd like to begin, Warren, with the story that you've been following coming out of Chicago. There's new allegations at Willow Creek Church. Yeah, for years, really decades, you might say, Willow Creek Community Church has been one of the most influential churches in the nation. In fact, I remember when I first interviewed Bill Hobbles more than 20 years ago, he and his church pioneered the so-called seeker-friendly model of church growth, and its annual leadership conference and the Willow Creek Association of Churches has spread the ideas of Willow Creek Church all around the world. But a couple of years ago, allegations of sexual harassment and abuse of power surfaced regarding that church's longtime pastor, Bill Hybels, and he was forced to resign. So this week, there's been new allegations. Yeah, there have been. A longtime church member said Gilbert Bilizikian, uh, affectionately known as Dr. B, uh, kissed and pressured her to have sex with him uh, between 1984 and 1988. Those were very formative years for Willow Creek. Uh, these allegations were first reported by Julie Royce on her website, The Royce Report. Now, have these uh, allegations been confirmed by others? Well, they have. And in fact, uh, we have a full account of the episode on our website at ministrywatch.com. Just go there and you'll see the stories right on the front page. But perhaps most importantly, Willow Creek's acting lead pastor, Steve Gillen, has confirmed the reports. He said that we believe that Dr. B engaged in inappropriate behavior and the harm he caused was inexcusable. You know, I said that Steve Gillen was the acting lead pastor, but after he released that statement, he himself resigned from that role. Uh, In fact, many in the leadership of Willow Creek Church have uh, been forced to resign because uh, they didn't take appropriate steps whenever these events and activities were made known to them. Now, Bill Azekian has been active in Willow Creek Church for decades, and he was, as I said, a mentor to Bill Hybels. There would be no Willow Creek Church without Gilbert Bill Azekian, Bill Hybels told Christianity Today back in 2000. Oh, man, that's a sad story, Warren. And it causes me to ask, why do you report on stories like this one? And how do you decide to write about scandals in the church and which stories you actually pursue? Well, you know, that's a great question. And it's one that we actually get a lot uh, here at Ministry Watch. But for us, the formula is pretty simple. Uh, First of all, at Ministry Watch, we believe that transparency and accountability are important to the credibility of the church and to the ministry world. You know, there's an old saying in the world of journalism that sunlight is the best disinfectant. The Bible teaches us that children are to be children of the light. And more directly, the Bible says, the truth shall set you free. So we may know a Apologies for telling the kinds of stories that you and I have been discussing, stories like the Willow Creek story. Uh, We think that bringing such stories to light serves the truth, serves the church, and ultimately brings glory to God by allowing the world to see his mercy, his justice, and hopefully his restorative work in the world as well. 
Yes, and I think it's so important to note that not all the stories that you tell in Ministry Watch are about scams and scandals. Most Tuesdays, you publish a story of a great Christian ministry doing restorative work in the world. One that you recently published was about a ministry in Indiana called Purposeful Design. Could you tell me more about that ministry? Yeah, I'd love to. It's a great story. Purposeful Design is an organization that's based in Indianapolis that at first glance looks like it just builds furniture. Yeah, and if I can interrupt, I went to their website recently and they have gorgeous furniture, beautiful woodwork, and it looks really high end. Well, you're absolutely right. And if our listeners want to see for themselves, they should go to our website, ministrywatch.com, and then they can click on that story and follow the links to the site where they can see some of those same pictures. Right. Building furniture isn't the real reason why we're interested in the story, is it? No, I mean, building beautiful things, I do believe, brings glory to God. But you're right. That's not exactly why we wanted to talk about this story. The main purpose of purposeful design is not just to build furniture or to create jobs, but to build new lives for those who are struggling with addiction, incarceration, and homelessness. Our story uh, features the founder, David Palmer, who said that the nonprofit organization's work is accomplished in the context of a really positive, encouragement-filled workplace where men learn to grow and walk a new walk. And the article also says that purposeful design is not just a safety net for those struggling to get back on their feet. Yeah, that's right. David Palmer says that he wants purposeful design to be much more than a safety net. In fact, he wants it to be a place where men can get strong and then go out bearing fruit in their homes, in their communities, and in their churches. Uh, Purposeful design's mission is to help rebuild lives of individuals broken by addiction and homelessness, equip them with valuable work skills, and provide the gift of work. What a great story. And it's just one of many on the Ministry Watch website that we'll be discussing this week. You're listening to Ministry Watch Podcast. I'm Natasha Smith, along with co-host and Ministry Watch President Warren Smith. And we'll have more for you after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you've been listening to Ministry Watch Podcast, where we unpack stories of Christian ministries in the news, along with other items of interest to help you be a more effective financial steward. Warren, one story that caught my eye last week was one that you wrote about a nonprofit leader going to jail for stealing donations. Yeah, the former chief executive at United Way of Santa Rosa County, that's in Florida, was sentenced to 51 months in prison for stealing about $650,000 from the organization. His name is Guyland Thompson. He's 65 years old. And interestingly, he was the mayor of Milton, Florida for 20 years and had been affiliated with United Way for 40 years. He admitted to 20 counts of wire fraud and three counts of tax evasion in federal court. Well, probably a lot of our listeners have some experience with United Way over the years. But what does this have to do with Christian ministries? 
Yeah, you know, I wanted to highlight this story because I think there are a number of lessons that those of us who are involved in ministry, either as leaders or as donors, can learn. Like what? Well, first of all, the the fraud was surfaced because of the organization's audit. At Ministry Watch, we tell donors all the time, don't give to organizations that are not getting regular outside audits. They're vital to good ministry governance. Uh, This case highlights the need for transparency and oversight uh, among nonprofit organizations. That's a great point. Is there anything else? Well, yeah, but for this one, you need to read between the lines just a bit. You know, I mentioned that Guy Thompson had been the mayor of Milton, Florida. He'd been there, you know, in that role for 20 years uh, and associated with the United Way for 40 years. So it's not the guy that you'd expect to be embezzling money. Well, that's exactly my point. A solid citizen. He had a good reputation. But, you know, I see this over and over again, Natasha, in my investigative work. Very few people start off to be swindlers and frauds. It often starts with sloppiness or a lack of structure in the organization that allows people to, you know, get away with small things that over time become big things. Uh, That's why transparency and accountability are so important. It protects not just the donors, but also the nonprofit executives themselves by keeping them away from temptations to cut corners. That is a great piece of advice. Well, and it's also biblical advice. Uh, The first chapter of Job talks about a hedge of protection that God had built around Job. Uh, In organizations, that's what orderly structure, transparency, accountability, such practices, for example, as an annual audit or regular board meetings can provide. They're a hedge of protection, again, both for donors, but also for the executives within that organization. So while we're on the subject of money, Ministry Watch has been covering the outsized salaries of people associated with President Trump's lawyer, Jay Sekulow, and his family. This is a complicated story, Warren. Can you break it down into a few key points for us? Well, I think so. I mean, the bottom line is pretty simple. Jay Sekulow and his family have received at least $65 million in compensation from several Christian ministries that they lead over the past decade or so. And Jay Sekulow sometimes says on his radio program that he doesn't receive any salary from the American Center of Law and Justice, which is a ministry most associated with him. Are you saying that he's a liar? Well, no, I'm not saying that. Uh, He doesn't receive a salary from ACLJ, but several of his family members do, and they're big salaries. And ACLJ, like a lot of ministries, has vendors. In other words, they purchase things from other organizations. It just so happens, though, that what ACLJ buys a lot of is legal services. And they buy those legal services from one nonprofit organization and another for-profit organization. And now these organizations do pay Jay Sekulow. They pay his wife, Kilm, and they pay others in his family large sums of money. Again, uh, about $65 million in payments uh, going to secular family members over the past decade. Well, none of that sounds good, but is this actually illegal? Well, it's not exactly clear. The law restricts nonprofit leaders from what is called private inurement, which means taking money donated to a ministry and intended for ministry purposes and using that money for private purposes. It'd be hard to say that the American Center for Law and Justice shouldn't have lawyers on staff. I mean, after all, that's what they do. They're really, in some ways, a nonprofit law firm. And lawyers do make good money, so paying the lawyers, and Jay Sekulow himself, does do a lot of the legal work personally, as we witnessed over the last couple of weeks uh, during the impeachment trial. That's perfectly legal and reasonable. But the question is, how much is enough? Private enormous laws can also cover excessive compensation. So we're in a bit of a gray area here when it comes to the law. So what would the takeaway be from this? 
Well, I think the key takeaway is that donors to ACOJ should seriously consider whether that organization needs your money more than a lot of other great ministries out there. Uh, Ministry Watch will soon be issuing what it calls a donor alert on ACLJ, and we'll be recommending that donors uh, cease donating to the group until it gets its salaries and board governance issues, some other uh, things that it's not doing quite right uh, in line. Well, it sounds like great advice. Thank you for that, Warren. We need to take another break, and we'll be back with more news of the week, including some updates from well-known Christian ministries after this short break. I'm Natasha Smith, along with Ministry Watch President Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. You've been listening to Ministry Watch podcast. I'm Natasha Smith, along with your co-host, Warren Smith. Warren, there's a lot in ministry news this week. Let's do a quick lightning round to close out the show. First up, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes has reached a milestone. Yeah, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes has indeed reached a historic milestone. 2,000 staff members worldwide. FCA President and CEO Shane Williamson said that uh, FCA's founder, Don McClannan, would undoubtedly praise God for the incredible way the Lord has grown this ministry over the past 65 years. He called it a wow moment uh, and said that he was grateful to the men and women who pioneered this ministry over the past half century or more. I should add that each year, FCA reaches about 2 million coaches and athletes as it ministers across the country and around the world with camps, what it calls huddles, training events, resources, and a whole lot more. Now, there's a new development in the U.S. Supreme Court that could affect a lot of Christian ministries. Can you fill us in? Yeah, the U.S. Supreme Court heard oral arguments on January 22nd for a case that may put to rest decades of debate over government funding for private religious schools. The case is called Espinoza versus the Montana Department of Revenue, and it involves a program in Montana that provides tax breaks to people who fund scholarships that are used at private schools, including religious schools. Uh, The state's Supreme Court ruled that the program violated a portion of the Montana Constitution, barring the use of government money for religious purposes. As a result, the program was shut down, but there was then an appeal, and that appeal is now going up before the U.S. Supreme Court. So when will we get a decision on that? Well, the Supreme Court could rule any time, but it's more likely that it'll be near the end of the term, which would be in May or June. Okay. Well, speaking of Supreme Court decisions, the anniversary of the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, which came down in January, has traditionally been a date for the annual March for Life. And I was there, and so are you. 
Yeah, I was. I, I've been attending these events for years, but this year's was different. For one thing, President Trump spoke at the event. Uh, his appearance uh, was a significant milestone on what I guess you would have to say is a long journey for Trump. In fact, in 1999, Trump uh, did an interview in which he said he was pro-choice in every respect. But obviously, showing up at the March for Life is a big deal and, and marks a change for them, but also something of a moment of arrival for the pro-life movement itself. Trump was the first American president to address the movement's most high-profile event uh, live. There have been other presidents that have phoned it in, so to speak. Um, but uh, this is the first time that a president has been there in person. Uh, thanks in part to the thousands of pro-life Christian ministries around the country, including pregnancy care centers, uh, the surgical abortion rate in this country is in decline, and the number of pro-life laws uh, passing state legislatures is growing as well. In fact, according to the pro-abortion group, the Guttmacher Institute, 58 pro-life laws have been passed just in the past year alone, including 25 that have restricted abortions and provided protections for women and children. And the March for Life has evolved into much more than just a march on Friday. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, lots of organizations hold events around the March for Life, including, of course, uh, the organization you work for, Save the Storks. That's right. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers nationally to help them reach more abortion-vulnerable women. And we had our annual Stork Ball on Thursday night right before the march. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the president's former press secretary and first mother to ever hold that position, was our keynote speaker. She was incredible. Yeah, she was. Uh, it was a great night. The Family Research Council also hosted what they call the Pro-Life Con, an online event that I attended live, but which drew more than 5,000 people online. Students for Life America hosted an annual Pro-Life Training Day. It had about 3,000 people there on the Saturday after the March for Life. So in a way, the March for Life has become something of a family reunion for the pro-life movement. Well, and our little reunion here has come to a close, but it's been great to chat with you this week, Warren, the first week of Ministry Watch podcast. Well, the pleasure has been mine, and I want to remind all of our listeners that we just scratched the surface on the stories that we discussed today, and we also have a lot more stories on the site. Yes, and if you want to know more about the stories we've discussed today, and if you want to dig into more of Ministry Watch archives and see the hundreds of stories we have there, go to ministrywatch.com. And don't forget to check out the Ministry Watch database of the 500 largest Christian ministries in America. That database has financial information, Ministry Watch's own rating of the financial efficiency of the ministry, and lots of other information to help you become a more effective steward of the resources that God has entrusted to you. That brings us to the close of today's program. Our producer is Rich Rosel. The writers of today's program include Sean Hendricks and Steve Raby. I'm Natasha Smith. And I'm Warren Smith. And you've been listening to Ministry Watch Podcast. Until next week, may God bless you.